0: Hello and welcome to the first 27 people that listened to the episode. Thank you so much, that was 26 more than I expected and I really appreciate your support. I'm here to make sure that you know you are not alone in this. There are plenty of ADHD mums out there struggling with the same issues. This is a safe place where we talk openly about our struggles with having ADHD, being a mum and dealing with life that is a little outside the box. We are real people with real stories who want to be able to laugh and strive to be better than what we were yesterday. My name is Jane McFadden and I'm a 36 year old mum of three who was diagnosed with ADHD a little over a year ago. On this show, you can expect to laugh, hear vulnerable discussions and learn why things are the way they are for mums with ADHD. No two humans are the same, no two diagnoses are the same and no two stories are the same. We have a lot to learn and we have a whole lot to look forward to in this podcast. Today we are going to discuss misdiagnosis. As soon as we get diagnosed or we think we might have ADHD, we seem to go into full research mode, full stalk mode on the podcast, on Facebook, searching terms, trying to figure ourselves out. Maybe someone told you your ADHD diagnosis isn't real that you don't really have that or you're jumping on the bandwagon of social media exposure. Maybe you're trying to make sense of it all and find a point of relevance. I couldn't find a podcast that had regular people on it who told real stories that I could relate to. And so here we are. The way in which we as women are often misdiagnosed with depression, anxiety, bipolar or others has a huge impact on our lives. So first up, Bullet point facts for the busy ADHD mum. Why do women get misdiagnosed? Number one, camouflaging symptoms. Research shows that women are highly motivated to hide their ADHD symptoms and compensate for them. We absolutely do not want anyone to know that there might be something wrong with us or we can't keep up. We are like ducks treading water, looking calm on the surface, but the legs are going crazy underneath. We internalize all of our stress rather than show anyone that we aren't okay. And then we beat ourselves up at the end with self-talk. The stress on our hearts, body and mind is psychological distress and can lead to mood disorders such as depression, anxiety. Harvard recently just brought out a study that teen depression in girls is twice as likely with ADHD than without ADHD. Instead of saying what a stupid test that was at school, we say we are stupid, I'm the idiot. Girls have a higher level of shame and blame on themselves about feeling different, confused and overwhelmed, but then we hide how we feel at the end. When help is sought, often there are techniques given out that just don't work for the ADHD brain, medications given that doesn't work, and the side effects of those medications can be devastating. In the end, we as women feel there's something wrong with us inherently because nothing seems to work. In the 1990s, one girl was diagnosed to every nine boys with ADHD, and now it's down to one girl per two and a half boys. Experts are saying it might actually be 50-50, which answers the question in my mind about why there are so many adult women being diagnosed. We aren't identifying with social media, social media is showing us how ADHD looks in women. It's not a bandwagon, it's us as women getting the help that we deserve, and we deserved 20, 30, 40 years ago. So I welcome Katie Underwood, who's here to share her real story about living with ADHD and her journey on being misdiagnosed.
1: So welcome, thank you so much for coming, Katie. Hey Jane, it's so good to be here. I am 40 years old. I'm originally from New Zealand, but I live now in Brisbane, which I've been here for 14 years. I have an 11-year-old son. I've been a single mum since he was around six weeks old. Um, I work for an organisation that is super connected to my values. I work for a not-for-profit called Orange Sky. I'm here based in Brisbane and I've found a really great, great life. <laughs> So
0: could you tell us a little bit about your road to diagnosis?
1: Around age 14, I think I was diagnosed with depression. And then a little later in my teens, I was diagnosed with anxiety. In my 20s, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So right after I had my son, he was maybe four or five months old. And then in the very end, at 36 years old, so four years ago, I was diagnosed with bipolar. And I was medicated. So basically, for all of those diagnoses, I was medicated and offered talk therapy and standard sort of psychological help. Um, with bipolar, I was on the standard medication, which is lithium, and started experiencing really significant suicidal ideation. It was a very stressful time. I went back to my psychiatrist who said, Listen, what you're describing, the racing thoughts, we're just going off even further, my sleeplessness. There were lots of things that kind of ended up making it really really difficult for me just to go about my daily duties, uh, daily tasks. And so he suggested ADHD and I laughed in his face and I said, I'm not an eight-year-old hyperactive boy. I didn't realize that women could be diagnosed with ADHD or even that girls could be diagnosed with ADHD. I laughed and laughed and he said, look, it's It's worth investigating. So we went around and did the testing. And then I think about six months later, he started me on stimulant medication and discovered that actually that was actually working the way that it was supposed to on an ADHD brain. Um, And it was just a real light bulb moment for me because it just, as I started, as you mentioned before, as I started doing the research, I realized that my whole life had been actually categorized by this neurological state and there was so much that I could finally like all of the jigsaw pieces just fell into place and I went oh my god this is just finally it all none of the other sort of diagnoses actually matched but so many of the symptoms just tend to cross over and like I said I think even though I had bipolar in my family I feel like now They may actually have been diagnosed with ADHD because of what I know. 36 years of just not knowing and now four years of thriving in this this condition. If you could have Mm. been diagnosed earlier, what do you think would have changed? I don't know that anything would, to be honest. And I do think about this often. And certainly for the first maybe year after my diagnosis, there was a long period of grieving. That's 36 years that I feel like may have been able to thrive a bit more. I struggled at school. I struggled fitting in. I never felt normal. I still don't understand how people's minds work, (laughs) really. The world baffles me at times, but in that, now that I am diagnosed, I give myself a lot more grace and I feel like possibly had I been diagnosed earlier, I may have had a bit more grace for myself. So there is some grieving for that. But I don't regret anything in terms of the trajectory of my life. Like I've had a really interesting and lots of ups and downs, lots of trauma, lots of great stuff, lots of terrible stuff. But I think fundamentally having a little bit of an explanation, and I'm not saying excuse, but having an explanation for the way that my mind works and then being able to fit what I'm doing around how that is rather than having to try and fit this mold that just doesn't suit. I think it would have been easier. I don't necessarily know that anything would have been different because I don't think the world was ready for women and girls to be diagnosed with ADHD at that time.
0: Wow, that's a really powerful statement, actually, that the world wasn't ready because it's barely ready now, isn't it really? Yes. You hear I agree. GPs, pediatricians. You wait the year for your daughter, particularly your daughter, to get a pediatrician appointment to be told that the clinical psychologist is wrong. Even though the clinical psychologist is the one that specializes in female ASD or ADHD, the pediatrician's not even on board with that, which is so confusing. So I think that's a really powerful statement that you said the world wasn't ready because it's, you're right, I, it's barely ready now, I think. Yeah. I do agree. Um, and we're still being gaslit, aren't we? As women, we are still being gaslit. There's a f- couple of friends of mine, they've gone to the GP, taking them a lot to get there, to be told that, that no, you're just jumping on the
1: bandwagon. That's not real. So I think more and more people are being dismissed, and especially women. And my experience was vastly different to my son it wasn't until I was diagnosed that I took my son to a pediatrician who diagnosed him almost immediately. The dismissal is, I think, even more traumatizing for people because you're just really wanting something to, like an anchor, something to hold on to and something to validate the way that you're experiencing the world. Yeah,
0: I think sometimes as well, I went through a psychiatrist and they did it so you had to fill out a heap of questionnaires first. And I thought it was hilarious mm-hmm. because the actual process to get diagnosed with ADHD is completely ridiculous for someone to achieve with ADHD. So you have to pay -hmm. the deposit, send the receipt, do three questionnaires, book the appointment. Like
1: by the time you finish doing all the jobs and then you've got to send it back in one email only. But yeah, those questionnaires and the making appointments and showing up. I think I missed three appointments when I first went to him accidentally because I put them in the calendar wrong or like just forgotten to put them in the calendar
0: the anxiety takes over too especially if you waited a long time the anxiety of disappointment um, and you know it can can really take over and so I think sometimes the actual process isn't necessarily ADHD friendly but one thing I did want to ask you what you said that you felt that you've thrived the last four years what strategy and what mindset change what has changed for you that you believe you're thriving now
1: i found work it's aligned so tightly with my own personal values and i work for it's a relatively young organization with extremely supportive managers who really encourage you to bring your whole self to work I think I really feel like the world should be past a stigma of mental health conditions. You wouldn't judge someone for walking into an office with a broken leg, but if you told your employer that you were suffering from any mental health condition, I don't think you'd be safe in this country to even have that conversation. For most people, they wouldn't feel psychologically safe to actually open up to their immediate managers or colleagues. whereas. ADHD being somewhat neurological I think people are becoming a bit more open I think there's going to be much more acceptance like a lot of this is can actually be viewed as a strength I'm not ever going to say that ADHD is a superpower because I think that's (laughs) it to me can be really difficult for people to manage all of this in a world that is not built for us
0: and I think as mothers as well there's a real power to being diagnosed in that we can then parent our children differently. I find it really confronting, particularly with my daughter. I struggled extensively as a teen and it worries me and is confronting to me to imagine her going through her teenage years not knowing. And I feel there's a real power to being able to put preventative healthcare strategies in advance. She's seven now and I know by the time she gets to 10, she's going to be as protected as possible in terms of just nutrition, lifestyle, diet, and what I can do to best set her up. For sure. And I think there can only be positivity that comes out of having so many women identifying that perhaps their brain works a little bit different and perhaps their kids' brain works a little bit different. I think we've all been guilty of seeing chore charts on the wall at someone's house and thinking, why can't my kid follow the chore chart? Mm -hmm for sure. So Katie, if you could start again, you could parent yourself, what would you do differently? Oh,
1: everything. So we have gamified everything in my home. You mentioned chore charts. We don't have chore charts. We have like a little wheel <laughs> that my son and I have both so we have a 20-minute kind of as soon as we get home there's 20 minutes to sort our outset which is emptying bags, putting uniforms in the washing basket. We put on some cool music. We make sure that it's basically just something that sort of hypes us up so that we've got this real kind of impetus before we sit down and take off our shoes and jump on the couch that we can just quickly get our lives in order. And we speak to future Katie and future Harry. (laughs) So we say, what can we do for future Katie and future Harry in this next 20 minutes? We spin the wheel, it's like the wheel of fortune, and it tells us what chore we need to do. And there's 10 chores on it. They're tiny things that can be done in five minutes. And it just gives us a sense of satisfaction and achievement that you might not have otherwise. Most of the time, and there's no pressure for either of us to continue with this, most of the time it it ends up with us wanting to do another chore in another part of the house. But there's no shame or there's no actual requirement for that to be the case. I work a bit from home, so three or four days a week I'm working from home, which I find really hard to stay focused. I use a program called Focusmate, which I've been using for a few years. It's body doubling software where you're working with, and I didn't realize this. This is something else that I didn't realize when I was a kid. I always wanted my mum to be in my bedroom while I was cleaning. And I had no idea. It's all come together. Like I said, it's this jigsaw puzzle piece that just slotted in. She didn't have to do anything. She didn't have to talk to me. She didn't have to tell me what to do. It was just her body being in the room that was what I needed. Could never explain it. Now Focusmate is basically a little human who you don't speak. You just have their little face in the corner of your screen watching you work. And that has been super motivating. They're often people, like I am part of a group of ADHD women on this. So it's people that I feel comfortable with. I use it for housework. I use it when I'm working from home. I use it when I need to get into sort of a flow state. And you can choose like 25 minutes, 50 minutes, or 75 minutes. And then you have a break between, so it's enforced Pomodoro as well. But it's that extra kind of accountability, I think. Also, my desk is full of children's fidget toys. (laughs) I've got putty and squeezy balls and clicky things and a magic wand with glitter in it. And I've got felt tip pens and colouring books so if I need to fidget while I'm in an online meeting. So, for example, while I've been on with you, I've got my felt-tip pens and post-it notes and my little magic wand that I can just focus on while I'm listening to what you're saying. No one needs to see it. None of the grown-ups that I'm meeting with need to know that I am actually a five-year-old child on the other side of this thing. But really leaning into the gameness, the fun element of my little brain. Music has been a massive part of that too, whether I'm performing or listening to music. I play the piano and can often find myself in like a flow state where I'm heavily focused, completely oblivious to whatever else is going on around me. Um, I have that too with crochet. So I, I do crochet and I can fall into this pattern. I sometimes find myself like four or five hours later and I've made nothing. The end result isn't what matters. It's getting into that flow state and really just focusing. And I know that I'm coming from a position of privilege and saying that. I've worked hard to make this a reality for myself but just finding little things that can anchor you in your day and still give you that sense of the little dopamine hit. It might just be cold water with ice cubes in it. Thinking of the things that you might have begged your mum for and giving them to yourself. With no guilt and no shame, <laughs> not just going, oh my gosh, you're a five-year-old, why are you so ridiculous? Because that can, that's a lot of, I know for a lot of us, and I don't think that's just exclusive to neurodivergence, but you, there's a sense of shame, like, what cutoff is there for enjoying your life? Another thing that's been really super important to me has been changing the way that I view sleep. I focus heavily on, there's a lot of research around circadian rhythms. So tuning into your circadian rhythm. So 10 minutes of actual sunlight in your eyeballs, the minute you can, rather than turning over and picking up your phone, which I think a lot of us can fall into the pattern of just moving outside or opening a window. But doing that first thing in the morning is what's, is what triggers your melatonin later so that you can have proper sleep. It's then enforcing a proper sleep time routine. <laughs> this is part of doing this for my son. It just ended up that I happened to do it for myself at the same time. I read something that I love and just this real, it sets the scene and it sets the tone for a really lovely sleep. I've made sure that my bedroom has nothing really stimulating in it. I've got the most comfortable sheets. I work with my sensory needs, so I'm really sensitive to certain textures, so I only buy clothing that actually feels good to me. There's certain things I don't want on my body because it feels, it's, I don't, I can't even explain what it is. So honoring that and respecting that, Wean for a long time, I absolutely hated this about myself. I couldn't explain why I didn't like it. It's the food noises. <laughs> it's wearing loop earplugs because actually sometimes I get overwhelmed. It's these little bits and pieces that you set in place for yourself that you just have to respect.
0: Oh, that's really powerful. I was actually just thinking when you were talking about the body doubling, my seven-year-old daughter will never clean her room, like ever, and she also doesn't want it cleaned. Yeah. The only thing she wants is for me to sit in the room whilst she cleans it. However, when you were talking, I was thinking maybe if I folded my washing on the bed, because I've always had the impression she wanted me to help her, but... If I folded my washing in there, she followed me in and did a little bit each day or every couple of days, it would probably be a really good way to do it. I think that's actually a really great tip. I've got two final questions for you. The first one is: what would be your final message to the ADHD mum community?
1: Yeah, listen, I think if you are someone, if you suspect that you have ADHD, or you're one of these unlucky people who's sitting on the many months. List waiting to see someone, or if you've been dismissed by a medical professional, that I think it's important that you treat whatever symptoms you have exclusive of any kind of diagnosis. Even though I had all of these misdiagnoses for 36 years or thereabouts, each of those sort of had their strengths because I started to treat myself as if those diagnoses were correct. And while medication might not have worked, there were other strategies that I put in place to make sure that I was looking after myself as best I could. The other thing is to just give yourself some grace and to go through, if it's a late diagnosis that you've received, then let that grieving process happen. It took me a long time to come to terms with the sort of childhood that I may have lost, but then at the other side of it, it may not have changed anything because the world, like I said, wasn't ready.
0: Beautiful. And one final one, completely unscripted, Katie, I was wondering, we were in the first episode having a bit of a laugh about mum fails. I was wondering if we can have a bit of a giggle at the end of this episode and you could tell me something that you may have forgotten in a very safe space of other people that forget things too. We all want the best for our kids, but sometimes we accidentally, never on purpose, do some things that we think possibly we shouldn't have done. Do you have anything that you would like to share?
1: My gosh, I have a million. Probably the worst, which I don't think is worthy of a giggle. It was pretty alarming at the time, but I lived in the Gold Coast and I worked in Brisbane City and my son was just a few months old and he went to a daycare centre across the road from my office. So we drove in, which was like an hour and a half drive in really crappy traffic. He was a brilliant sleeper and he just slept in the car, happy as. Drove in, drove to the underground car park, got out, grabbed my bag, walked upstairs, went to work, 20 minutes later went, holy crap, and I'd forgotten him. It was an underground car park. It was not one of those like horrible sunny days or anything like that, but I sprinted back. The car park attendant was there, my son was fine, still asleep, everything was fine, but probably the worst, yeah, absolutely the worst, and I have been living with that guilt for 11 years. (laughs) So, yeah, horrendous.
0: Interesting you say that because when I see on the news every now and again, you see it and your heart goes out for the parent. And it's only been in the last year when I was diagnosed that I thought, I wonder if those people with ADHD need to have some kind of alarm system in their car.
1: There are cars. So I have a relatively new car that warns me. I don't know how it does this. Technology is beyond me, but... When I get into drive, it takes note of how many doors opened and closed, and it'll remind me if any of the back doors were opened when I first got in. And that's really helpful because I often put my work laptop on the back seat, and I'll get to work and completely forget that <laughs> I actually need a laptop to function while I'm there. And it does; it beeps, and it's like, actually just
0: check the back seat before you leave. It's like those seat belts that you get, and now when I say to my kids, "Is everyone strapped in?" They all just say yes because they just don't want to deal with it and then I'm like I can see that you're not strapped yeah. in because it's beeping at me which is good <laughs> but um Katie it's been such a great great interview thank you so much for your time and openness I've really enjoyed it I'd love to have you back again thank you so much
1: Well, it's been awesome to be here thank you so much I can't wait to hear the rest of your episodes coming up